0: I'm Coach Tony Miller, and you're listening to a Quick Timeout Out Podcast. We have conversations with basketball coaches from around the country focused on specific topics designed simply to help grow the game. Thanks for downloading and listening to a quick timeout podcast presented by Dr. Dish Basketball. If you have yet to visit the Dr. Dish Basketball blog, you're really missing out on some great resources included in those resources is a shooting drill series that I've designed for you to use with your players. For each of the drills there, you'll find a diagram, explanation, and also a video of the drill. To find those, visit the Dr. Dish Basketball blog. You can click on that from the drop-down menu at the top. Again, that's drdishbasketball.com. I want to welcome to the show Nick Sharia. He's a coach, he's a basketball writer, he's a social media marketer. Did I miss anything
1: on that list? <laughs> no, I think that's it.
0: <laughs> Let me just kind of start with it. I wanted to get, get somebody in who, for those who maybe are not familiar with Doug Lamov and his book, The Coach's Guide for Teaching, I wanted to get someone who knows about coaching, who has the perspective of a coach, who's read the book, who understands the teaching aspect of it as well. You know, Nick, just recently, if those of you that follow him, had a Twitter thread about the book. It's a bunch of questions that I wanted to ask him. I thought it'd be a conversation that would be good for other coaches to hear as well. So that's kind of where we're going with it. If by chance, Nick, people have not heard of the book or even heard about Doug, can you kind of maybe set things up for the rest of our conversation here?
1: Sure. So um, it's called the the book is called The Coach's Guide to Teaching, and Doug Lamov is the author of the book. He is a former teacher and um, principal, and he basically kind of puts together a bunch of techniques that he's found that he's observed from coaches and teachers could help coaches better teach their athletes. Um, there's a lot of evidence based teaching concepts that that coaches can use to, to create better practices and, and have better relationships with their players overall.
0: As a teacher, I really love the concept behind it because it put things in perspective, I think, for coaches where a lot of coaches think of coaching as being teaching. And for many of us, we also serve as teachers. That's like our day job And so I think most of us have this desire to improve as teachers, but I like the weightiness. I think there was a quote in there that said like teaching is the new, something to the effect of like teaching is the new money ball. Our goal is to make athletes better, faster over the long run. And I think at the heart of it, we as teachers are really trying, especially as coaches, because our time with them is so limited, like we're trying to, to accelerate these kids learning as fast as we can. But some of the practices that are traditional and have been passed down from generation to generation of basketball coaches actually don't support that. And so the thinking behind this, I think, is very unique and something that probably will change a lot of the the concepts and things that we talk about here. I think this was something that, that Doug talked about early on, and I found it very interesting. But as a teacher, we're trying to impact the memory and the learning of the players and the, the impact of memory and specifically working memory versus the long-term memory and the effect that all of that has on, on our players and how we as coaches work with those players for, for the listener, kind of differentiate the two of those, Nick. And then also, like I said, the impact that an understanding of those two different types of memory has on the coach and the teaching that that coach does. For sure. So this
1: is definitely one of the big takeaways from the book. So there's there's two kind of types of memory categories, let's say. So we have um, working memory, which is a very kind of limited space within your brain. These are the things that you're consciously thinking about, but there cannot be, it may only be one or two things. It's a small amount of, small number of things that you can consciously think about at one time um, versus long-term memory. These are things that are have kind of already been encoded into your brain as habits. So you can think about, or you don't need to think about things. You can just go ahead and execute them. Let's say if it's a basketball skill, you can just use this basketball skill and kind of play instinctively off of that. So the key for coaches to understand is that if something has not been encoded into long-term memory, if you're only scratching the surface in terms of working memory for that player, you really need to be careful about not overloading that Um, with information about six different skills, they can only handle so much. And that's where there's something called cognitive load theory. And in order to maximize how much a player can learn, you really want to make sure that they're not overloaded with information as you start to, to teach them certain concepts.
0: It's difficult, I think, sometimes for coaches to find that balance between the overloading and challenging players, and especially finding the sweet spot for those who in other books. I've I've, I've read this and one most recently with with Brian McCormick, but talking about challenging the older ones versus the overloading of what the younger or or the less experienced players. So I I would have to think that that has to go and factor into the practice planning, which is what I want to come back to in just a few moments. But one of the things that I also found interesting, a concept that I've explored and talked about on this podcast several times and heard other coaches talking about it is the vocabulary that your team has. I think sometimes we talk about it as in like the terminology of your team, but why is having a common vocabulary important for a team?
1: Yeah. So I think number one, if you have a a common vocabulary, it helps you be efficient. And I think there's a lot of positives about being a a given example on my team. We use a term called Bama decision-making, which means quick decision-making. So if we say Alabama, that means the player that held had the ball held the ball for too long. So we want Bama, Bama, Bama. So if we have a stoppage and we say, you know, let's say Robert, that was Alabama decision making. That wasn't Bama. It's much easier to be efficient if if everyone's on the same page and everyone knows knows the difference between Bama and Alabama decision making. Um, and I also think, and Doug talks about this a little. It's really important for an entire program to kind of have the same language. Um, And I think it helps create consistent feedback processes. So I think you talked about a young player who played for two different coaches and were teaching the same concept, but because they use different language, it did not click in this person's mind that it was actually the same concept. So if you can use language that is consistent throughout a player's experience in your program, it's going to be better for their learning and it's going to be much more likely, I think, that they're going to be successful.
0: And I think also whether it's in-game or for those who are using more of a games approach in in practices, if you're constantly using different language that's slowing down their thinking because there's that clashing in their brain. What did he just say? What's he talking about? And I, I like the point, too, that he made even about in-game situations and, again, could apply to if you are a games-based approach coach but that connection between the vocabulary and feedback that we give in the games and if you don't have that shared language our feedback as as coaches won't be very effective especially the the more the competitive environment this is where i think coaches sometimes just like start talking more or maybe just start using it's actually it has an averse effect where it's less useful the feedback is less useful. So he even talked about like having those cue words. Can you kind of talk about the, the cue words and then how those can be implemented in those highly
1: competitive scenarios? At the school I coach at, we have a ton of different cues that we talk about. And like you said, it, it really distills down a certain play or a sequence that happens a lot in, in the way that we play. So for example, on a drive, we always, the person next to the driver is always feeling behind And a lot of the times, especially in practice, but other teams may do it as well, where that guy actually gets denied. And we took this from, I think, someone that was on Chris Oliver's podcast. We call it a midnight cut. So that guy is going to cut to the basket. And it's called midnight cut because it's going to be open late. It's not going to be open early. So you're going to throw it into the space ahead of that cutter. So just by saying two words, midnight cut, I mean, that kind of gives the player context of, okay, the midnight cut is going to happen after a fill behind, usually when it's denied. And instead of talking about that scenario every single time, we just say midnight cut and it really clicks for the player.
0: And now that you've finished the book, how different will your practices look?
1: It's interesting. A lot of the or some of the concepts that I've kind of come across in my coaching career, which has not been very long, it's only been four or five years, but something like these platform drills that he kind of talks about, where you don't want to have, let's say, 20 different drills that you're doing, because then a player has to learn. And remember all of these different concepts within the drill, rather than actually focus on what they want to learn about. So I think I've kind of got to that point without calling it a platform drill. So certain things like that, that I've kind of picked up along the way that may not have had a concept, a name for the concept, but now I do. So that's been very helpful. And there's definitely things that I will kind of change or definitely be more intentional about as well.
0: Going back to the platform drills, can you maybe give an example of one? Maybe describe something that you would use as that platform drill and then how you would adapt it to build off of it.
1: Let's say one kind of platform drill that I really like is something we call full court cone transition. It can also be played in the half court too, which is is good because you don't really have to teach different things. But let's just start with full court cone transition. Um, It's just a regular five on five up and down game, continuous, but every time there's a change of possession. The last person to touch the ball in that possession has to run around a cone. Um, and the cones are placed free throw line extended on both sides on the sidelines. So it's kind of a mini five on four for a few seconds, and then it becomes a five on five. So you can obviously emphasize transition concepts out of this. You know, pitching ahead, maybe you say, okay, we're going to give plus one for any pitch aheads that occur. Or, you could, it's all obviously going to turn into a half-court game sometimes. So you can certainly emphasize things in the half-court as well. So that's kind of the, the great thing about platform drills is they're really, really adaptable to anything that you want. You, if it's a full-court drill, you can certainly emphasize things with your scoring or certain rules that you have that will help with full-court concepts. Or once it gets into the half-court, you can certainly do things that, that impact the half-court game as well. Coach,
0: one more thing. If you haven't signed up for the Members Only a Quick Timeout Plus weekly email newsletter, let me tell you what you're missing out on. Each Sunday, I'll be sharing exclusive content not found anywhere else, including coaching courses, web clinics, video breakdowns, and audio and video interviews. That's four pieces of content a month for just $5. All you have to do is click the link in the description and you'll not only start receiving new newsletters, but you'll also have access to all of our previous pieces of content as well. So sign up today to join the Quick Timeout Podcast Plus. We hope to see you on the list. Your 30-second quick book review for why a basketball coach out
1: there should read this book. Yeah, so I think this book comes down to how important it is for coaches to be intentional about what they do and to really understand the evidence behind the things that they do. So really, it comes down to a few words here and there in terms of how you get feedback could totally change the learning experience of a player. Or how you, let's say, order your drills in a practice plan could totally impact how your players learn. So just that really intentionality that, that Doug kind of brings to the table can help you immensely as a coach. And you wouldn't even think of the things that, that you need to be intentional about if you want to be kind of a really good coach.
0: Uh, I think I saw on your Twitter account, you not only had the thread that I referred to in the intro, but you also had even some pictures of some things, I think a couple of them were maybe your practice plan and then some also some people, some rep- replied with their own practice plans mm-hmm. on there. Why don't you go ahead and give where people can find you on social media and then some of the things that maybe you have found helpful with it?
1: Yeah, so um, my social media, my Twitter is at Nick underscore Sharia. Uh, it's my last name, S-C-I-R-I-A. I tweeted out kind of a quick example of a practice plan um, that takes a lot of these concepts that are in Doug's book. So I think it's really important, and, and on my practice plan, it's really important the thoroughness in which you plan your practice. For example, I, on my practice plan, I put three different columns at the top. We have an individual commitment on based on the focuses that we have. So these are – these. The players come up with them at the beginning of the season for us. They're really objective and specific. So these are, okay, these are what the players are going to commit to in today's practice That is in, that kind of relates to the focus. So if the focus is transition offense in terms of our width, how, how wide we're running, maybe our individual commitment that the players came up with is that they want to hug the nearest sideline within three steps. So that's one column. The second column Teaching cues, because like we talked about how important it is to, to kind of all be on the same page um, with our language. So just teaching cues that we're all going to use related to transition offense and our width. So one could be find a sideline that I know a lot of people on Twitter use. And then the third column is reinforcement. So these are just things that coaches can call throughout the practice in terms of turnovers, let's say. When that focus is not met, so let's say we didn't run wide in transition offense, turnover, drop the ball, the other team gets it, and then we play. So th- that's the type of practice planning that I think can kind of take coaches to the next level. Is that type of ability to to really think it through and be thorough before practice actually begins, and really make sure to stay on your, on your focus points.
0: Yeah, there was some stuff that I as I look through concepts and things that have been talked a, a little bit about and probably pieces of this coaches are familiar with, but I, I love the way that Doug explained things and the scenarios that he gave that were outside of basketball. I think those things kind of helped understand and put them maybe in the context of, of basketball. It's not a book specific to basketball at all, but, you know, taking these things like even the examples that Coach gave here and applying them to basketball, I think it will change the way that you think about things. I also found, I'll try to make it available in the show notes, I found a study guide that goes along with it. Maybe something that you can work with your coaching staff on or talk through maybe in the upcoming offseason. season or i know there's several on on twitter that were talking about it and wanting to get together and talk a little bit about it so maybe that's something that that we can set up as well a lot of great practical information i think will help coaches become better teachers and for those of us i think most of us if not all of us like that's our desire is to teach our players better coach thank you so much for joining us tonight i appreciate all you do for the game and sharing for the game and sharing with us tonight
1: oh sure i'm happy to thanks for having me on That'll do it for this
0: episode. Thanks so much for listening. We'll talk to you again at the next time out.